This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business. My friend Joan Gary, who many of you know as the Dear Abby of nonprofits, she was recently on my show and she gave one of her incredibly insightful nuggets of wisdom when she said this, the nonprofit sector holds the secret sauce people are looking for, which is meaning and purpose. Now, it does seem that COVID in particular served as a reset for all of us, right? Causing us all to really ask the question, what is my purpose? Where do I find meaning? And her argument is that nonprofits, perhaps better than other sectors, can really help people find that purpose and meaning. So here's my question. Are nonprofit leaders really leading with that secret sauce, as Joan says, and effectively highlighting the fact that their nonprofit could help people in their community find more meaning and purpose? Well, this question and more is answered by my guests, John McCoy and Becky Endicott. Many of you know them best as the hosts of the We Are For Good podcast. John and Becky are doing some fantastic work through We Are For Good, and they took time to be on the show to share their very keen insights into some of the biggest opportunities facing nonprofits today. Enjoy today's show. Well, hey, John and Becky, it's so great to have you on the show today. And uh, I wanted to start with a lot of different questions about the nonprofit sector in general. And so, Becky, I'm going to start this first one with you. Let me lay this out real quick. You know, as I think about the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector, there are many, right? You know this in your podcast, you have a lot of guests that talk about these challenges, right? From a trend line of decreasing donors giving to nonprofits to the increase in a lot of services nonprofits provide. Plus, you add to that the staffing shortages across the board. There's plenty facing nonprofit leaders today. Now, having said that, I recently had a special guest panel on my show, and one of the guests on that panel was Joan Gary. I think you know Joan. Well, she said something I thought was right on. And in fact, she kind of gently pushed back on my my initial question to that panel, but she was right. She said this, that's too often in the nonprofit sector, we look at our sector with a scarcity mindset rather than an abundance mindset. And I wonder if you could start with that, Becky. Do you agree with this? Have you seen this? And if that's the case, you think having an abundance mentality or a lack of an abundance mentality unnecessarily sets us up for looking at our challenges in a negative light. What would you say to that, Becky? And then, John, you could respond. I mean, we talk about abundance and scarcity mindset all the time on our podcast, too. I 100% agree with Joan because... I I think we've just been playing it safe for a very long time. We've been playing by a certain playbook for decades. And all of a sudden, all of us are in the same boat right now. We are in the absolute shift of what we're seeing, which is a massive evolution, not only for the nonprofit sector, but for the world, the way that we connect digitally, the way that we storytell, the way that we engage with donors and look at signals, everything is different. And I think that if you are 
hardwired to think about things very structurally, the way that they've always been, it's easy to look at it through a scarcity mentality. But if you're brave enough, we talk about having like a bravery mentality or, you know, an empathy mentality. If you're thinking in a innovative mentality, if you can think about the things that we are not pursuing, it doesn't look as bleak to us, Rob. In fact, we see so much opportunity that's there for the taking for nonprofit. And I mean, you can look at Gen Z alone. That's just one tiny little subset. They don't look at the world in the same way everyone else does. And they are hardwired to have mission built into their DNA, the way that they give, the way that they show up and serve, the way that they amplify causes, the way that they think their giving is their identity. And so that's such a moment that if we can embrace abundant thinking and apply it to the way we look at relationships, the way that we flex tech, the way that we bundle our time better, the way that we prioritize mental health, if you can apply it across that lens, we're seeing people who are doing that in organizations. And I can tell you right now, those are the ones that are winning in this sort of post-COVID new digital evolution world that we're sitting in. Love that. No, well said, John. Yeah, I just, I have to agree. And I think, you know, we're kind of called the non-toxic optimist over here because I think <laughs> you have to come at this work from that space, you know, and I think... I struggle when these large reports come out talking about the decrease and all of the things that are happening in terms of individual giving because at the end of the day, you know, those of us that care about the sector, obviously we want to know about that, but you got to look at like what's happening within your own walls, you know, and you can't spend the whole day stressed about these overarching trends as much as like what is happening and what can you control right now. And I think if you have that abundance mindset and you look at like your controllables, you realize that you have a lot of assets that you probably haven't leaned into, you have a lot of people that haven't been activated yet. And you know, I think this is the moment for that. And we're seeing some of the cool books that have come out recently. One, I would say The Generosity Crisis. And I think you've probably talked to Nathan Chappelle and Brian Crimmins, but I think that they made a really good case of like, how do we kind of bridge this gap in this moment? And it comes down to radical connection. I mean, this is the stuff that we're already should be well versed on as nonprofit leaders, but it's like, it's a time to double down into these relationships and see what happens as we kind of unleash that for the next you know, few years ahead. No, I love it. I love your optimism on that. And now let's continue on with the sector as a whole. I've had several leaders mention to me that we may need to rebrand the nonprofit sector. I mean, first of all, the name alone is negative to begin with, right? Nonprofits. Talk about that. Again, you talk quite a bit about branding on your show. Do you think we need to rebrand the whole sector? And if so, what would that look like? Sure. You're talking to a graphic designer over here. That's what I'm formally trained <laughs> Perfect. in. So of course, I'm open to rebranding the sector. But I mean, let's think about it from just like an identity perspective. I mean, it seems like a lot of our mindsets and a lot of our actions are us stepping directly into the identity that we have been putting upon ourselves, calling ourselves nonprofit. And I think it not only has limited, you know, some of our perspectives internally of like what's, you know, what we should be pouring into, where we should be putting in our time, but externally, like the conversations of what should leadership pay look like? What should average pay look like? What should all of these conversations of what's acceptable with a sector called nonprofit. And so I do think it is one of our most favorite topics, the idea of let's let's do transform this. We don't have a name yet, but for us, we talk about the impact uprising. To us, that is the rallying cry that getting more people involved in philanthropy it is the greatest uplift. And I can't help but think like what that could do to our society and our world as a whole as we get more people involved in just that transformational idea of philanthropy I mean, this should be the magnet to our society. You know, this is such a compliment 
that we want to pour more into that conversation. So we're in with you if you want to rename it, Rob. Like, Count us in. I'll, I'll drop okay. some logos this afternoon. So why don't you drop some logos later? Okay, good. We'll give you like 30 minutes to work yeah, on that. We'll do that. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Becky, what would you add to that? I mean, I think this is literally on our value statement on our website that in our spare time, we would love to rename the sector because we wanted to talk about the things that we do, not the things that we don't do. You know, because if we're being brand loyal, I would say, yes, it's the good sector, you know, because we've got good in our name, but it's really like we're talking about impact. We're talking about the impact sector. And I think with a rebrand can come a re-understanding of what it is that we do and not that which we don't do. And so pouring into the joy, the transformation, the life-saving, the you know solving for systemic problems, and having really honest conversations to John's point about the way that we're hamstringed. I mean, how many of us working in nonprofit have had, you know, a well-meaning volunteer donor come to us and talk to us about the overhead myth, you know, that I really want my money to be going, you know, straight to the cause. Well, we're a business at the end of the day and overhead is people and people power these businesses and we have to make them profitable and we got to quit apologizing for it. And I think when we can, again, go back to that abundance mentality and start thinking about how are we growing our business? How are we growing our revenue? How are we investing that revenue back into innovation, into solving for problems, into running faster? We're going to see impact you know, compound exponentially. And so it's really incumbent upon us. You know, I, I love the idea of a rebrand. John's a graphic designer. I'm the writer. And it's like, I want to tell the story that people don't understand about nonprofit. And when you invest you know, not just in the frontline problem, but you invest in the people who are watching the solutions that are there for the taking on the frontline. If you can invest in them, if you can invest in their rest, in their learning, their growth, their ideas, we can see a huge boon to the sector, I think, that we've never seen before because we're not strapped. Being in the nonprofit space, one of the biggest questions I get is about grant funding. Nonprofit leaders know that grants can be a very important part of their overall revenue, but knowing how to write grants well and where to find them can leave many of us overwhelmed. Well, it's a good thing my friend Holly Rustic at Grant Writing and Funding creates ways to make grant writing simple and achievable. Well, here's the good news. She is offering you, my listener, a free grant writing class. And of course, she also has her own podcast, Grant Writing and Funding. So I encourage you to visit grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob for the free grant writing class and find out more about Grant Writing and Funding podcast. Once again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. I really like that idea of investing in these future leaders and investing in the sector itself. In fact, one more ode to Joan Gary. She had, again, in this interview that I just recently had, I just thought it was so good. She says, we in the nonprofit sector have that secret sauce of what people are really looking for, which is meaning and purpose. And particularly coming out of COVID, I think we all had this collective pause to say, what, what is our life about, right? What is the purpose of our life? What, what brings me meaning? And I think that is a question people have been asking probably more than ever post-COVID, and the nonprofit sector has an opportunity to answer that question. So here's my question to you two. Do you think that nonprofits are really leading with that, quote, secret sauce, as Joan says, and effectively highlighting the fact that their nonprofit could help people in their community find more meaning and purpose? Becky, maybe you can answer that first, then John. 
I love that question so much because I see myself reflected in that. And I think if you're someone who has ever made a gift, if you've ever gone in with your time and served somewhere, you feel like you're a part of something bigger that's very personal. And I agree that our that we're here because of passion and purpose. But I also think we're here because we're ridiculous idealists. And we have either been the beneficiary of someone's generosity in our life, or we have felt so good that when we've given, we want to chase that high over and over and over again. And so I think where nonprofits, if, if I'm going to be practical in terms of a pro tip, you know, I think how we're telling our story and inviting others into the story is a massive opportunity right now. And the thing that we have in our toolbox that I think is a little bit harder for corporations or for government or, you know, for somebody that's not, you know, quote unquote, a trusted entity is we can be vulnerable. We can be very authentic. We can tell the stories of our people. And what that does, is it allows people to see themselves as a part of the solution. And whether that solution is my dollars, whether it's sharing this, you know, your story on my social media account, or maybe doing a peer fundraising on behalf of you, we just seem to think that you can attract believers in that. And we think believers are exponentially more powerful than donors. Donors give. Believers give, but they show up in a myriad of other ways. And that's what, you know, you look at these reports John talks about, none of that is represented in there. They're only looking at the dollar amount and we're missing looking at people for more than the dollar amount and the way that they can not only just grow our financials, but they grow movements within our nonprofit. And so that's where I would suggest like maybe starting. Well said, I like it. John, what else would you add? I would say that you know, this is a topic that we do talk about quite a bit. Every year on our podcast, we kind of kick off the year saying, here's some trends that we are seeing. And it's like this through line between a lot of different conversations and just feel like they'd be revolutionary. And one of them that we lifted was this idea of locking arms for impact. And I bring that up because it's kind of twofold of like thinking of it, like how do you make really deep partnerships in our work? And I think if you realize the secret sauce that Joan was talking about, the first part of that locking arms for impact is owning your impact, like knowing what you uniquely are bringing and doing to the world and dial that in. Like know your theory of change, know the stories, know the impact, because that is something that the corporations that you partner with or the donor on their own can't do. But when you're able to walk in confidently in these conversations and be like, this is literally what we provide, it has this backbone. So it's again, throwing out the scarcity mindset, coming in with abundance and being like, this is what what you're inviting people into. And I think it is an invitation um, instead of an ask. So kind of lots of things there, definitely lean into it. We also talk about it through the lens of storytelling and we love just painting a picture of that. It's no longer like this savior mentality or he, who's the hero. It's this collective impact. Like how can we break down the walls to where actually us coming together is the magic sauce of this because it takes everybody. And that's the power of community happening in real time. And we're uniquely gifted as a sector to be the torchbearers of that. And it feels like another thing that our society really needs so we can really lean in. 
good. Okay, good. Well, now I want to spend a little bit of time on fundraising simply because that takes so much of nonprofits' time, right? No matter if you're the development person or not, that's just a big percentage of what nonprofits need to do every day, every week, every month, every year, you know, to keep going. And But I really want to kind of hone in on this, creating a culture of philanthropy. In fact, a recent article LinkedIn posted, and maybe I think you were even chimed in on this one, 57% of nonprofit professionals feel that they've maxed out their new donor options. So that's like more than half of nonprofit leaders feel like they've already tapped out their donor options. Is this what you're seeing, number one? Do you agree with this finding? And if not, what are you seeing when it comes to the interviews you're having and the leaders you're talking to when it comes to new donor options? Again, maybe John, you could start with this one. Sure. I mean, first I want to affirm, I in, you know, in the very weeds of running a nonprofit, being a fundraiser, that was Becky and my story for the first 15 years. Okay. And I get the struggle. 20, but I'm older. But <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to say that, Becky. You don't have to admit that. Yeah, no kidding. It's all right. I'm 43. I own it. <laughs> John and I are 25, so that's just to, for the record. No. Exactly. Yeah, we're like Perhaps. we're just like. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm affirming that the struggle is real. There's a lot of priorities. There's a lot of you know things happening, but I will say that the leaders that we talk to that don't don't feel stuck have that more opportunistic mindset of like what this moment is. No more is your community just who's around your block. You know, no more is that. We have got this opportunity to have a global community and the organizations that both center that and lean into that and using the power of tech, using the power of those kind of connections. Like it's a huge opportunity right now to build community in a different sense than we were traditionally able to do. And so I do think we talk to nonprofit leaders and I'll I want to talk about the FarmLink project because I think they do this on lots of levels. But I mean, these are young. This was an organization designed during the pandemic by some Gen Z college students that just saw a gap, you know, and they stepped into that gap with asking the bigger right questions. What are we really trying to accomplish here? And I think if you position yourself by asking bigger questions, you're going to get a better solution because it's not always money that you need. Sometimes it's connections. Sometimes it's this massive volunteer base that they have figured out these you know, the fellows that they've got activated across different college campuses. And you start to look at it of like, what are we really trying to do? And let's backtrack of like what our options are. So I think that, you know, it's a time to get creative. And from a couple of creative folks here, like lean into that. Look at the expertise on your team that maybe is not the first person to talk. What are you not thinking of? What are you not looking at as signals to engage people and really lean into some of those creative ideas? And those are the leaders that we're like, oh, they're going to figure this out. You know, they're not, they're not, afraid to try something new. I like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback on that just because and you took a lot of words right out of my mouth, John. But I think if you're starting at where my new donors are, you're not starting at step one. I think you're starting at about step four. And so I would say to John's point, asking a bigger question is not asking where are my new donors? It's like, how am I engaging? Where is my ecosystem where I'm engaging? And I, I'll give like some practical examples here because I think you don't know, not many people go out and just say, I need some new donors because that's really not a starting point. And maybe it was because I, I, I want to affirm that 57%. And I would say I would have been one of those 
five years ago who would have said that as a recovering major gift officer, which was my last job. I was a major gift officer at a healthcare foundation. I would have thought that going through a traditional means and the way that I would look through my database and I would maybe you know, prospect around my community, but it's so different now post-COVID. And your world is, again, to John's point, this digital community and the niche that you deliver and the unique value that you're bringing to the world needs to be told. And so back to your earlier comment about finding that why and that North Star and that theory of change, if you can socialize that in, in ways that create engagement signals, that is going to be a cue to you that that could be a new donor. And let me give you a couple of examples. Like there's an incredible organization out of Haiti that is teaching teachers how to go in and create systems of education in Haiti. And it's called P4H Global. And it has a 34-year-old founder, PhD, Haitian-born woman. And she has started I would say one of her acquisition avenues is she started a TikTok. And all she does is she gets on maybe once a day, once every other day, she literally just talks about Haiti. She doesn't necessarily talk about their mission, but she educates people about Haiti. She educates them about the education system. She educates them about history. She talks about you know, white saviorism and things like that. But she is able to very naturally pull what they're doing in their mission into that content. And here she is, you know, 2 million views beyond. She's able to activate that base of 150,000 subscribers, or I don't know what she is. This is Dr. Bertrude Albert. She is a revolutionary, like nonprofit founder, but she is able to get them in the door by just having a conversation first. And so the way I look at that through my old lens of a major gift officer is I would have had to have sat down and had an individual coffee with every single one of those people to get my messages across. She's doing it in such a broad way and she's casting a net. And some people are putting a heart on it because they like it. Some people are responding and they're giving a signal, oh, I'm actually really invested in this. Some people are giving her a DM, which means I'm even more invested. And sometimes she's putting in a link at the bottom that says, go here to my website and find out. And all of a sudden you have somebody who is actively fundraising. So there's engagement signals all along the way for possible new donors, but you're also getting rabid fans. You're getting amplifiers. You're getting so much more than just a new donor. And that's why I say, I think it's a bigger question and a bigger opportunity. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an easy and effective way to boost your nonprofit's donations? Look no further than DonorBox, the online fundraising platform that streamlines your fundraising efforts, maximizes donations, and simplifies giving for your supporters. With DonorBox, you can create beautiful donation forms, accept digital wallet payments, track donations, and send auto receipts. And the best part? There are no setup or monthly fees and no long-term contracts required. So what are you waiting for? Visit DonorBox.org today to get started. That is www.donorbox.org. Do you want a clear step-by-step system to write grants so that your nonprofit secures funding in a stress-free manner? Well, check out the free grant writing class, How to Write Winning Grants in Seven Proven Steps. You will walk away with seven nuggets of grant writing clarity and a free action workbook so you can start writing higher quality grants today. 
Just watch this free class now at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. It's interesting what you're saying about that example. Great example, by the way. Thanks for sharing that. Storytelling, such a key part of fundraising, it seems like, huh? That's what you've seen. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And le- I, I would say your storytelling right now is your superpower. Step in to your superpower. And I want to give like some love on love to our nonprofit friends on that because I think, you know, I'm I have a public relations and marketing degree. And I used to think very linearly about storytelling that I would come into my organization. John and I used to work at Oklahoma State University's foundation. We ran that marketing department and my brain was, okay, I know the person I want to interview. I know how I want to capture that story and I want to push it out. And that is very much a 1.0 model because that's an outbound push. But if you can get an inbound, if you can get the voice of your community into your story, guess what? It's going to save you time. It's going to save you money. It's going to give you an arsenal of examples to point to. And then we think the power in that is you can create a culture of storytelling within your organization where you are always sharing stories of people, whether it's a staff member or a beneficiary or one of your donors or one of your volunteers. There are so many stories that create what is really a rich mosaic of voices and humans that are pouring in. And the more that you share those, the more people will say, gosh, I feel that way too. That's another reason why I love this organization. And then that connectivity between you is getting stronger and you haven't even met them in person. And it's just scaling digitally online. So I think being able to do that. And, and I and I also just want to say, as someone who had a lot of burnout in nonprofit, it's difficult to do that. But there are incredible tools out there right now that can help you do that. Memory Fox is a great tool. Proof Pact. I think Giving DNA and Overture have a great package. You know, I think using AI tools, you know, that can just help you grab transcripts and audio files. You're iPhone, you can take a picture of your donor. Like it, it doesn't have to be beautiful. It just has to be human and authentic. Well, I like that human and authentic. That's excellent. Well, okay. If we think about effective nonprofits who have seemed to consistently scale their fundraising efforts, it feels like, and, I, and it seems like what you read is that one of the key aspects of their success is that they were able to develop a culture of philanthropy. How have you seen this implemented, whether in your own experience or people that you've had on your show? Any examples of what they're doing that's really effective? And John, maybe you could kick this off. Sure. I mean, when I think about culture of philanthropy, I think that word's tossed around a lot. I think it's a little one-dimensional if we're just thinking about the, the dollars being transacted. But let me take you back to a story when we were in healthcare philanthropy. So we spent the last decade at a healthcare system, the biggest healthcare system here in Oklahoma. And when we joined the team, Becky and I were coming from OSU, which we called the land of milk and honey. They're in the middle of a billion dollar fundraising campaign, multi million dollar. That sounds incredible. (laughs) (laughs) And here it was a different situation. The hospital was getting actively sued by a major country music star over a gift. There was not a lot of community support for the organization. And we would talk to an average employee and they didn't even understand why we were a nonprofit. And so, to, to say we walked into a place that didn't have a culture of philanthropy is like understatement, <laughs> I'll say. But 
understanding how movements are made and how you can really cultivate an idea of a generous culture, like it has to start from within. And I feel like that is the missing piece. And I think if, if you hear the wrong thing, you think that means you've got to strong arm your employees to make a gift. That's like the opposite of it. Like how can they believe in the power of what generosity does and in inviting them into that story? And so over the next few years, Becky and I sat down and we pinned out a first ever employee giving campaign with a different paradigm. There was no dollar goal. There was an idea of participating at any level that made sense to you. But the bigger thing we did was we invited people into the story that no longer it was about the money that was the thing. It was about the, why do you even care about this place in the first place? Why do you want to you know, see the best funding and the best equipment come into the doors? And it, when people can tap into that story, like what Becky's talking about, that is your superpower. You know, I've got two sets of twins, which is a podcast for a different day. But it's like my, <laughs> my love for the NICU and my you know, love for everybody on that team and just respect and care. I would always want to give back to that NICU because of what it did for my family. And so by recentering those stories, that's one part of it. The second part of it was following through and being really incredible stewards. So we talked about you know, earlier about how do you really own your impact? I think the other part of this is following through on what you say you're going to do. So, I mean, you know, when we rolled out this employee campaign, it wasn't just people giving to this nameless, faceless fund. It was, hey, I want to install, you know, this ultrasound machine at this hospital room right here. And so what happens is a couple of years later, Becky and I both, through different experiences, we're happily married to other people. We saw that ultrasound machine being used like in real time. And it says powered by employee giving. And it's like, when that happens, that's how you transfer a transactional maybe donor to somebody that we would call a believer. And when you start doing that at scale, people believe in the power of philanthropy and you can see that that snowballs. So now as we look back, you know, leaving the organization 10 years later, there was a culture of generosity in place and a culture of philanthropy. It's just happening because people actually saw and believed in the power of philanthropy at work that it's actually doing something, you know, too. So I think those are some practical lessons in there of just how do you center stories and how do you center actual tangible impact so people can readily latch on and believe in something. Yeah, I love you moving just from that transactional donor relationship. Yeah, Becky, what else would you add to that? I'll give you two quick examples. And one is a very big nonprofit and one is a very small one because I want it to be relatable. The big one I think that most people have heard of is Charity Water. And if you look at what they've done with their monthly giving program, it's easy to look at the, I think the numbers, which are, you know, unbelievable. $25 million, you know, over 70,000 monthly donors to the spring. That's an incredible story. But if you're looking at culture of philanthropy, that is what's very impressive about what they've built in the spring, which is every single one of those people believe so deeply in their ability to have an impact on charity water. They come to these events, you know, these virtual events, they meet up with other people from the spring, they wear the clothes, they rep the messages on social media. I mean, these are people who are lit up. In fact, we've had many people in the We Are For Good community tell us that they either met someone through the spring or that they are also members of the spring. And when you see somebody who says that to another person, you watch them light up and they there's this instant connection and pride and loyalty and love. And I think that's what's really powerful. If you can build something that magnetic that people see themselves 
as a key driver to making that change happen, that's a dynamic culture of philanthropy. The other one I would lift is a really small, wonderful organization out of Nepal. It's called Sun Sarmaya. And we visited, and I want to say their staff is incredibly small. I think they have three to five people on their staff, but they have a culture of stewardship and checking in all the time with their donors. And it's not just when they need money. It's just when they they thank them all the time. They share stories all the time. They say, here's your impact at work. And they give ability for people to respond to that, to speak into it. You know, when they have hard times, they talk to their community about it. And guess what? The community rises up and fills in all of those gaps. And this is an organization that's based out of California and literally operates halfway around the world. But the people who are giving into it see themselves as catalysts and they go out and find other donors. They amplify the message. And so I think, and, and they use great easy tech, you know, like we had a great episode with Jihan, who's their founder that just talks about Airtable, using Airtable to automate their stewardship so that it really saves her time to do the one-on-one personalization that really is the great catalyst. So I think culture of philanthropy can be how you define it. But it's also how do people see themselves in it because they want to be your ambassadors. And we are tiny but mighty. Most of us in nonprofit, there are not enough hours in the day. We never have enough money. We never have enough staff. So it's like we need to shift some of the burden and honestly, some of the joy and the opportunity to the people that are out in our community that can come in and be, you know, really the engine that's fueling our culture of philanthropy, not just those internal team members. I love that. And thank you for the example of both the big and the small. And, and you're right, the majority of nonprofits are on more on the smaller end. And I think a lot of our listeners are wanting to have those real examples of like, hey, we can do this too, not just those mega nonprofits. Now, from maybe not just fundraising, but you can, in general, as we look at the biggest opportunities, thinking that you know abundance mindset here, as we look towards the rest of this year into next year, even in the next three years, what are some of the biggest opportunities that nonprofits have in front of them in your mind? Maybe John, do you want to start and kick that off? Yeah, I mean, I would say community. And it's not just a core value of ours. It's We say community is everything, is, is core to not just how we show up as organizations, but also just like as people. And I think if I would have realized as an annual giving director for the biggest chunk of my professional career, I felt like I was on an island. I loved my team. I was surrounded by you know a handful of other people. But I still felt like on an island of like trying to figure things out and trying to get camaraderie and whatnot. And I think if you realize the opportunity for community now is for the taking at just a global level. Like there, there is somebody out there that is feeling your pain, <laughs> facing the same struggles, that's looking for that connection. And you know, I spent a lot of my career never cold DMing somebody on LinkedIn, but I'm like, behold the power of that. I mean, we've met so many incredible relationships and friends by just a simple outreach of just saying, hey, I really appreciated when I saw you say this or whatever to disrupt kind of the day. And it's going to create these collisions of community. And I think that really is the bomb for a lot of the problems. It's going to help you be more creative. It's going to help you have a place to vent when you have a bad day. And like it's just kind of the only path forward. Like I think it's a huge undertapped opportunity. And we've, we have a community at We Are For Good if you're looking for a place to plug in. But just find a place. Find your people because that is going to be one of the most sustainable things you can pour into. Love that focus on community. And you're doing that really well from what I can tell with We Are For Good. So yeah, Becky, 
I, I think I would say, and this may be a little unorthodox, which the community is is such a great point. And actually, that was going to be mine, but I'm pivoting. Sometimes we have the same brain. <laughs> I would say this is the time to prioritize self-growth. And I want to define that. I want to define that for everybody. We, we put a lot of focus in the We Are For Good community on mental health because we see how burned out, how completely taxed and overburdened the nonprofit staff is right now. So I want to give a twofer on this one. <laughs> the first way I want you to prioritize self-growth is I want you to create a plan for learning for yourself all year. And if you don't have budget for that, there are so many free resources that you can tap into to learn about what's going on right now in the world and how you can adapt to the way that donors, humans are connecting to each other, the way that they're activating, the way that they're giving, the way that they're learning and sharing. And so like find your podcast, find some free webinars, like come, uh, John mentioned our community, come on over to weareforgoodcommunity.com. It's free, like hang out with people and get resources. And I would say, get out of your own sandbox. We see too often healthcare philanthropy, only talking to healthcare philanthropy, higher ed, only talking to higher ed. And it's like, no, no, we we even want you to get out of nonprofit. Like, look at the impact sector, look at businesses and start getting on a path of growth. And I can tell you that if you put a plan of intention around this and maybe even take it to your leader or to your board and say, we need some, we need some capital around this. We need to make it a priority that we're ready to meet this moment that we're standing in. And it's going to be about self-growth. And I'm going to tell you, do not like slough off those soft skills because the soft skills, the humanity, the way we can connect right now, that is super secret sauce. Okay. So that's the one on getting a plan for yourself to learn, but the, the but the one, one B on that is we need to normalize rest. And so I want everyone in nonprofit to take a deep breath. And I want you to know that you don't have to work on the margins. You don't have to sacrifice your time, your mental health, your, your personal time at home with your family, solving for the problems that are coming up. In fact, we need you to detach a little. We need you to get in a good headspace because you cannot pour from an empty cup. And we see so many nonprofit professionals right now that are either leaving the sector because they're like, I just can't do it anymore. I can't work this hard. And it's like, we need leaders who are encouraging people to step up and say, we want to normalize rest. We want our people to take time off for therapy. You know, we are for good, just move to a four-day work week because we're trying to normalize having a day off to just come down from our work. And we're a startup. You know, we want people pouring into, and I'll give a great example from New Profit. They take a week off for their entire staff. They shut down entire operations and give everybody a week of free time off for that nonprofit organization because they think there's healing that happens in there and that people can get regenerative ideas and inspiration. And so we're seeing people who are embracing this. I think the Teaching Well is doing this really well out of Oakland. There's a lot of really great nonprofits that are doing this. And guess what? There's funders funding it. Can you believe this, Rob? The Margulf Foundation out of Colorado is literally giving 
you know, grants for therapy and for, you know, taking time off because they see how valuable it is to the end impact. So let's start normalizing this and let's start giving our nonprofit professionals a little breathing room. Oh, I couldn't agree with you, both of you. John and Becky, thank you so much for what you're doing for the sector. Love what you're doing for We Are For Good. Anything else in terms of my listeners, where else can they find more information about the two of you? Maybe connect with you if possible. Where would you send them? Thanks, Rob. This has been so fun. I mean, definitely come find us. We're at weareforgood.com. We hang out on LinkedIn. That's kind of our playground. So definitely reach out to us and we'd love to start a conversation. Or you can email us. It's john, J-O-N, at weareforgood.com. Becky. Becky at weareforgood.com. I mean, just come LinkedIn is our favorite place to kind of hang out online, but you know what? Listen to our podcast, listen to Rob's podcast, listen to Joan's podcast, Joan Gary. I mean, it's like go out and find community, find learning, find people that uplift you and make you the best version of yourself. Well said. Well, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to be on this show. John and Becky, keep up the great work. Thank you again. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for what you do. Grateful. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business.